Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 219, SOS. This is the 43rd overall episode, and there are 78 to go. Before we get things underway, best holiday wishes to all my listeners out there. This is the week when Hanukkah begins, and Christmas Eve and Christmas will be uh, happening later in the week. So whatever you celebrate, best wishes. And with that, let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. A Wikipedia summary, by the way, that was so awful that I said, I'm going to have to rewrite this for the podcast, and I uh, took a few minutes to rewrite it for Wikipedia itself. So there you go. You can go marvel at my work on the Wikipedia summary for SOS. But anyhow, here we go. In flashbacks, Bernard and Rose are seen meeting for the first time when he helps her get her car unstuck from the snow in New York. Five months later, Bernard and Rose are lunching with a view of Niagara Falls. Bernard proposes to Rose... Rose, without giving an answer, reveals she is terminally ill with cancer and has a year left to live, perhaps slightly longer. Bernard nevertheless reaffirms his proposal, to which Rose responds with a yes. On their honeymoon, Bernard takes her to Australia to see a faith healer, Isaac of Uluru. Rose becomes angry and says, I have made my peace with what's happening to me. However, Bernard succeeds in persuading Rose to talk to Isaac, who states that his office is on top of a place of great energy, perhaps magnetic or geological. He says he will attempt to harness the energy and give it to her. However, he says he is unable to help Rose because the energy in Australia is not the right kind for her. He even offers to return Bernard's money, but Rose tells him to keep it, saying that she will tell Bernard that Isaac fixed her, so Bernard would stop trying to save her life. In the airport... Rose drops her pills while waiting for a boarding call for Flight 815. Locke, still in his wheelchair, returns them to her, revealing that she knows his secret. On the beach, Rose and Bernard are bickering over the recent arrival of the Dharma Initiative food drops. Bernard posits that the other survivors have already given up on being rescued. Bernard enlists Hurley to gather survivors for an impromptu meeting. He admonishes the others for losing their will to be rescued. He, citing the supply plane that must have dropped the Dharma rations, suggests to create an SOS sign. Rose shoots down the plan, dismissing it as giving the others false hope. Later, Bernard tells the diminished group a newfangled plan to bring rocks from a field for the SOS. Hurley and Jin express skepticism for Bernard's planning skills, and the group continues to shrink. Rose derides Bernard's plan to Locke, but Locke is more sympathetic. Locke tells her that he's done with the hatch, but Rose is skeptical. Locke tells her that Jack diagnosed a four-week period of healing, but Rose says, you and I both know it's not going to take that long. Bernard continues to work on the SOS alone. Rose brings him some supper and offers him an apology for lying about being healed by Isaac. 
Rose says that she was nevertheless healed after the crash because she couldn't feel the illness inside her anymore. She tells him that the island healed her and tells him with absolute certainty that this is the case. Bernard realizes that Rose doesn't want to be rescued from fear of regaining the illness away from the island. Upon this revelation, he tells Rose he won't leave the island or try to continue the sign. Meanwhile, in the hatch, Locke attempts to remember and to draw the writing he saw on the blast doors in lockdown, but to no avail. Jack enters the armory to change Henry Gale's bandages and to interrogate him. Jack tells Henry that he plans to cross the line the others told him not to cross to share the fact that Henry is a captive. Jack suggests Henry could be used in a trade for Walt, but Henry replies, they'll never give you Walt. Later, Locke tries to speak to Henry through the armory door, asking him whether or not he entered the numbers into the computer. However, Henry doesn't respond, only smirking to himself. Jack and Kate trek through the jungle. Both she and Jack become ensnared in a net. They determine the trap is Danielle Rousseau's due to its lower level sophistication and attempt to free themselves. Kate reaches around Jack to get the gun, and they try and shoot the rope, suspending them in the air. Jack succeeds. Now free, Jack and Kate continue to march through the jungle through a heavy rain. Jack asks Kate to explain her earlier comment about the lack of sophistication in the net. Kate tells him about her expedition with Claire to the other hatch, as seen in maternity leave. Jack and Kate arrive at the place where his standoff with the others occurred. He calls out to the jungle, challenging them to show themselves. He becomes increasingly animated as he calls for the others, but receives no response. Later that night, Kate apologizes for kissing Jack, but Jack reveals that he is not sorry about the moment. A man comes stumbling out of the jungle carrying a torch. He falls to the ground in front of the two and is turned over, revealing him to be an unconscious Michael. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts of this wonderful episode. Uh, The episode opens with Bernard and Rose stocking the new beach pantry, and they jump into theorizing right away. So this isn't bothering you at all? What's this? Well, this. This. Why is a bag of potato chips going to bother me? Well, aren't you remotely curious as to where all this came from? And you're acting like we just got back from the supermarket. Well, I guess I was raised never to question my blessings. (laughs) I was raised to question piles of food with weird labels that just fall out of the sky, Rose. Well, honey, just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean you have to raise your voice. Bad day? I had seven weeks of bad days on the other side of the island just trying to stay alive so I could get back to you. But here... My God, Rose, they've built a kitchen on the beach. They've given up. Given up? On what? On getting rescued. So not only do we get uh, the central problem of the episode revealed, that Bernard wants to, to try and fix this issue of people not wanting to, uh, to be rescued, but uh, it's kind of this question of where are the airdrops coming from. It's a uh, continuation of uh, something that goes on this season. I, I think perhaps it's it's rather new this season of the show echoing our own concerns at home, the show listening to what we're saying. And maybe it's not prepared to give us answers right away, but it certainly is um, telling us that the discussion is going on, making, making us aware of our own concerns. 
and of course uh anyone confused as to the origin of the uh of the food drop uh should check out the uh the new man in charge that was on the uh, season six dvd i think it's also floating around on youtube um uh, when I first referenced it on the podcast, I, I think I was pretty dismissive of it um, because it really doesn't offer any huge revelations. And if you're watching the show chronologically, um, you know, it's meant to be watched very last. Um, and, and I think it lacks a little uh, a little resonance as that. I think that they were perhaps overly aware that it was dvd only and you needed to kind of hunt around to find it but it is um you know it is properly viewed as part of the show just as uh let's say the uh the uh, webisodes or mobisodes are even though uh the webisodes are of inferior quality to most episodes um in terms of their production or revelation and obviously their length because they're you know a couple of minutes long same thing with new man in charge they're still part of the show. They're still uh, something legitimately to be referred to. Um, and that brings me to my greater appreciation. As the podcast goes on, I keep referring to the new man in charge over and over, it seems. And um, while I certainly there's there's value to it, if only in the course of this episode, how they explain that uh, there are Dharma workers off-island who just keep getting paid to keep doing food drops and uh, haven't ever been told to stop. So, if nothing else, the origin of the uh, the origin of the food drops. Um, also, in that in that scene, we see that the show is shining a light to a rather inconvenient truth. Um, yes, we're wrapped up in the fun of the show, but the characters really have given up uh, attempting to be rescued. I mean, Bernard's plan is actually an excellent one. Uh, yes, it's difficult to haul lava rocks, as we'll learn in a bit, to haul rocks half a mile to build a giant SOS. Um, yes, his management style is quite you know, poor and, and not towards teamwork. But if only someone was there, perhaps a jack to give a, a rousing speech or something, but if only someone was there to say, you know what, a couple of us each day, let's you know, spend an hour bringing rocks. If that hour results in me bringing two rocks along because I'm, you know, not as strong as a, as a such and such, you know, as a Sawyer or, or whatnot. Fine. Uh, if it results in me bringing six rocks because I'm strong, so be it. But let's reach, a, you know, let's put a couple rocks in each day and eventually there's going to be a giant 40 foot SOS, you know, maybe 40 foot by 100 foot SOS. Yes, we watching the show, especially in retrospect, we know the, the, that you know planes don't fly over in, in some sort of normal way, and Google Maps isn't up there taking pictures of uh, the island. But it uh, it wouldn't hurt; certainly wouldn't hurt. So, you know, shame on the characters for giving up if we're gonna if we're gonna treat them as real. At any rate, at that point in the story, uh, we cut to the hatch with Locke trying to remember the blast door map, just like us. Just like the discussions we're having at home where um, perhaps we've seen the, you know, at this point, uh, a week after lockdown, perhaps we've seen uh, the the famous uh, high-resolution version of the map in Entertainment Weekly, seen it online, et cetera, et cetera. Um, perhaps, you know, some of us in the audience aren't at the forefront of being tech-savvy, or perhaps we've had uh, a busy week. 
uh, or perhaps the the source that we get some of our lost information from uh, the the 2006 podcast that we prefer or the website or whatever. Perhaps that hasn't quite put the link up, et cetera, et cetera. But we're still having these discussions. Um, it's again the show kind of reflecting us. Um, we also see Locke ignoring the countdown as he tries to pump his memory. Uh, Jack pops his head in uh, and asks uh, Locke if he'll, you know, are you going to get that? Meaning, are you going to push the button? Interesting that Locke has now become a drone at a computer in a cubicle again. Granted, it's a much different computer. Granted, it is a vastly different cubicle, but it's the same mindless job. You have to sit there and do some menial thing uh, to, to, you know, to, to advance the process along. Um, elsewhere in the hatch, Jack and Anna Lucia discuss how Ben hasn't eaten uh, or had anything to drink in two days. Uh, and they open the door. And as the door opens, Ben is kind of hunched over. But then once he's aware the door is opening, he immediately straightens up, ramrod straight, using that genius mind now to fight his captors. He's not going to say any more or do any more. He's going to wait for that, that crack in the dam. And uh, until then, just kind of present himself in this uh, in this strike of sorts. Uh, Jack pulls off the bandages and cleans the wounds with alcohol. Both are done in rather rough manners. It's not quite unprofessional. I think that it's befitting a professional, you know, how a professional doctor would treat a an unruly uh, but currently uh, cooperative prisoner. Uh, so it's not quite out of line, but it, it, it's it's just interesting to see Jack kind of dutifully changing those bandages to prevent an infection and kind of, you know, not saying, not you know, with no, no bedside manner. In fact, uh, I, I believe Jack makes reference to that, that, you know, he never was good at bedside manner. Um, but nonetheless, he's doing his job. And it, it was at that point, too, that I kind of made a connection. Yes, we have Locke, you know, as the computer drone. Uh, elsewhere in the hatch, Jack is still back as the doctor, and right outside the, the, the gun locker, there's uh, Anna Lucia, the, the cop with a gun, you know, keeping everybody safe as she holds the gun, you know, has the gun on her hip. Talk about reinventing yourself or not. I mean, there they are, you know, having not changed one iota. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know that that's some running theme in the hatch. Um you know, I don't think of it as some sort of comment on, uh, you know, the, the hatch being some sort of place. And I, I don't mean in a spiritual sense or in a show, you know, show as reality sense. I mean, in a, in a story sense, it appears at least these three people return to their old forms when they come into the hatch. Um, I mean, it's kind of so few others are in there. Um, and, and briefly as well, that perhaps, uh, perhaps that's it to the theory. But anyhow, moving on. Jack, uh, at that point, sets his thoughts on tonight's conflict, at least the, the conflict for the Jack portion of the episode, to go to the line in the jungle, say that they have another, and trade up for Walt. Ben ends the act by snickering that they will never give up Walt, uh, which is our first hint uh, in a while as to the special nature of Walt, and uh, for anyone who feels that that is uh, an unresolved issue, <laughs> yet again, refer to uh, the new man in charge, which does not state what is you know, what is Walt's specialty, but it does show uh, Walt in the Santa Rosa institution being um, 
collected uh, at his own will, being collected by Ben and Hurley to return to the island to continue uh, the work or to continue Walt's, you know, special connection. Certainly, the fact that Walt is special beyond, uh, you know, the Dharma, uh, the the others want kids because they can't reproduce. You know, there is something special about Walt, and, and that's hammered home in the new man, new man in charge as well. Anyhow, at that point, we uh, get to the title card, and after it, a car stuck in snow. I wonder how much shave ice it took to create New York City in winter in Hawaii. Uh, quite a bit, I'd imagine, although they're, they're, it's probably not that difficult for a television production to get a, you know, ice grinding machine, or perhaps they used, you know, the old uh, potato flakes and water. Um, I, I don't know, but uh, at any rate, Bernard... Flashback Bernard, that is, helps Rose get her car out of the snow uh, in what, you know, it's it, it's a rather predictable scene that this is going to be their first meeting, despite the fact that the dialogue is rather familiar with each other. It's kind of their normal sassy rapport back and forth, but it's, you know, nonetheless, it's their first meeting. It's that easy, tender rapport. Um, even when they fight, they're adorable. Um, and with that, we go back to the island where Bernard tells Hurley to get a crew together because he has an idea. Uh, with that, we're back in the Hatch Kitchen. By the way, this is a very this is a very busy episode. Lots of plot going on. It feels like the Bernard and Rose um, on island story could be an episode by itself. Uh, feels like the you know the whole Jack Hatch jungle story could be an episode by itself. Um, but neither feels kind of shorted in this episode, but there is a lot of cutting back and forth, whereas oftentimes, um, we will kind of have the main, you know, the main story and its flashback might take up two thirds or perhaps a tad more. And then whatever the B story is, um, especially the ongoing Ben stuff, um, you know, it's kind of a third which would be 15 minutes or so. Maybe it's a bit closer to 10, and maybe we get that in, uh, you know, three scenes, three, three and a half minute scenes, that sort of thing spread out throughout the episode. This is a bit more even. Anyhow, so back in the hatch, Jack is packing up to go meet with the others. Anna Lucia offers to go with him, and Jack says, quote, you need to stay here. That's right, Anna Lucia. You've killed an other all by yourself. With your your bare hands and a stick. You helped debunk the Henry Gale lie. You can shoot straight. You're perhaps the best trained uh, gun person uh, in camp. Uh, yes, there was that little gun mishap with Shannon. But, you know, she she's the most recently one trained to use a gun as a police officer. But what does Jack tell her? He literally says, stay in the kitchen woman he doesn't say the woman part but he he literally is saying when he says you need to stay here he's saying to the woman stay in the kitchen literally i hate you jack sometimes i really hate you especially since we're we're coming to the end of anna lucia as a as a regular in the show with her you know adorable tank top that doesn't come down all the way and whatnot and ah i hate you jack you're heading out into the into the woods where it's going to be raining shortly, and you could have Anna Lucia in the rain, but, but no. Anyhow, the scene ends with an unusual shot of the hatch, by the way. It's at knee height, and it's from across the kitchen. So kind of Jack and uh, Anna Lucia are 
at the other end of the room from the camera. And it was interesting because above the steel girders is rock. I don't remember seeing that before. Now, you might say, well, of course it's rock. It's, you know, dug out from whatnot. Yeah, but it's also a set. And sets normally stop at a certain point so you can hang lights and whatnot. Um, It just struck me as very unusual because you tend not to see shots like that in TV. Particularly in sets that you know, well, maybe, you know, you didn't know at this time. But certainly the show had a sense, the show knew that the hatch was going to be there for one season. Um, I, I believe the goal was always at the end of season two. In fact, I vaguely remember reading this in in TV Guide back when it was a, <laughs> a publication that, that was read on occasion. Um, but I remember that the, the goal of season two was, you know, that at the end of season two, you found out why the plane crashed. Uh, and indeed that happens, right? And indeed that happens uh, as not pushing the button is explained with the context of the crash of 815 and then not being pushed the second time, which results in the destruction of the hatch. So they have a sense that this is your big centerpiece uh, set for the season and you want to keep things changed up. So they're, you know, probably at this point, what, we're at 219. And uh, how many episodes do we have total in the season? After this episode, SOS, there's four weeks of, of episodes left with it, with it being a two hour finale uh, live together, die alone. So point being, they they must have had a sense at uh, at this point that the the hatch was going to be uh, be blown up, and, and must have been pretty definite by the time you had a, a final draft of the script or a shooting draft of the script. So anyhow, just an odd shot for anybody who's interested in checking it out. It's eight minutes and forty seven seconds into the episode by uh, you know by DVD, Blu-ray, Netflix uh, standards. Uh, Anyhow, uh, speaking of standards, Jack recruits Kate with the standard. Uh, I like Kate and I'll be a snide jerk to Sawyer type scene. Uh, Why Kate of all people, I don't know. Um, But anyhow, at least the show uses that opportunity to reinforce the basics of of a love triangle. And uh, with that, we cut to Bernard who springs his plan. Which means a plane dropped it here. Which means there are other planes that fly over the island. So we are going to build a sign. A, a massive sign along the beach. So that way if a plane flies over or a, a satellite takes pictures from up there, we want to make damn sure that they know we're here. They, they know about it. Of course, calls this false hope. And uh, it's the first hint that she doesn't want to leave the island. Uh, With that, Bernard storms off, and Rose looks after him for a few seconds, while Giacchino plays the strings extendedly, all to get to an act break. I really sensed that they had four seconds uh, extra in the episode, and this was the scene where they filled in those four seconds. It's just, it really is... I mean, you know, think about it. We have some act breaks in the show, which are, you know, just absolutely fantastic. Many of them at the, you know, ending the final act and, you know, the zinger at the end of, of an episode. But even then, there still are just these, you know, these these zingers to take us to a commercial break. And with this, it's kind of, you know, I'm upset with you, wife. And we kind of know it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, I want to get an island divorce. He's just saying, you know, I can't believe you didn't, you know, 
didn't uh, have more faith in me. And he storms off, and it's just this one Mississippi looking at him, two Mississippi, the strings playing, three Mississippi, Rose still looking, and the strings playing, four Mississippi, boom, we go to commercial. It's just slightly, uh, slightly jarring moment. Anyhow, after the commercial, uh, Rose and Bernard are in flashback on the American side of Niagara Falls. Um, it's a nice big shot, too. Giant glass windows showing uh, a flawless blue screen view. Um, considering it's a special effects shot, I mean, it really is nice. There's people, you know, that you can see the falls. You can see people moving uh, in in that that kind of park area that, that there is on the American side. Um, great, great shot. Not hiding, not hiding special effects at all. Um, as a side note, I don't think there is a restaurant where they're showing that. I could be wrong. I've been to Niagara Falls once. It was a few years ago when I was on the Canadian side, but, um, hey, whatever. Um, Rose thinks that they're out to any old, you know, lovely romantic dinner at Niagara Falls, but then Bernard proposes. It's fantastic acting from the two of them. Uh, it's it. They only have a little bit of time in this episode, two scenes, to sell the backstory of these characters to a, a point where marriage and life together is an option. But truly is just a, a fantastic scene. And of course, there's this question of how will Rose respond? We think, oh, that's no question at all. They get married. But we're in for a bit of a surprise. Excuse us for a minute. I've been in remission for the last couple of years. But now it's back in this time. It's not going away. My doctor says I have about a year. Maybe a little longer. Bernard, of course, is uh, sucker punched and as breathless as we are, particularly if we're in the moment of the scene. Um, this is the great Flawless love of lost. But Bernard, of course, does compose himself. You haven't answered my question. Are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. What you have there is two veteran actors just giving amazing performances. We feel like we've known them uh, as much as we've known some of the main characters. Uh, And certainly we we see them in that scene uh, in a depth that uh, certainly a number of the main characters have only only, uh, scratched the surface of, at least at this point in the series. It's just, uh, it's a wonderful scene. It's beautiful. It's tender. Uh, I think that even on first viewing, we can start to make some assumptions about, uh, you know, the cancer no longer being an issue on island. But uh, on the flip side, I don't think that you're thinking much of that on first viewing or on 20th viewing, uh, just because of the the power that those two bring to the scene. With that, the story takes us back to the island, with Bernard approaching Echo and Charlie, who are too busy building what is revealed to be Echo's church. And uh, Bernard is not happy to hear that. 
Well, could I at least grab some of these logs? We could sure use We're them. We're using them. For what, exactly? Church. A church? Yes. Everybody on this island is building something. I'm trying to get us saved. People are saved in different ways, man. I think I liked you better when you just hit people with your stick. <laughs> the uh, wonderful, wonderful little bit of humor there. I think also, uh, you know, something, uh, you know, something that certainly is playing to the audience. Um, and rather an appropriate clip, too, if you don't mind my saying so, for this uh, this particular episode coming out uh, in, in the holiday season. People are saved in different ways, says Echo. And I think that certainly, uh, regardless of whatever... Uh, Whatever you do this time of year, I think it's uh, it's a good uh, good thing to keep in mind that we all have our our differences, and hopefully we all end up uh, in our own version of the, the final scene of the series. But enough uh, religious musing. Let's head back to this episode and back to the hatch in uh, what again is proving to be a very busy episode. Flashback: Bernard and Rose on island, the hatch, Jack going out to the line. Um. And in the hatch, Locke is now in spoiled brat mode. He's unable to open the vault door. Jack has the hatch gun and he's gone, so no opening it, says Aunt Lucia. And Locke bangs on the door and whines, Did you enter the numbers or not? Henry, did you? Please, oh please tell me. Come on, please. With that, we cut to a shot of Ben's hands, uh, which of course are tied, and we track up to his face, just as the lips come into view. The bruised and cut lips smile. Ben is overjoyed. His plan is working. He's found the weakest one of the bunch, at least of the bunch that he has to deal with. And he's working that Ben magic. And it's uh, it's just marvelous. It's a reminder of why he is the villain of this season. And and perhaps the villain of most seasons. Um, perhaps my memory of him, you know, indeed becoming the number two on the island. Perhaps that's... <laughs> Watching away a multitude of Ben sins, but uh, what a you know what a performance out of him just by just by smiling. With that, we uh, enter the act break and come back from commercial with Bernard's labor-intensive plan of hauling lava rocks half a mile to spell out forty-foot words on the beach. He has a small and uninspired crew, and it's clear to everyone but him that this plan isn't going to work. Uh, with that, we cut to flashback and Rose and Bernard driving near Ayers Rock in Australia. Yes, Australia. Like the one that Flight 815 left from? Shocking of shockers. We're, you know, going to have a full picture of the Rose and Bernard flashback here and see how they, you know, from how they met to how they got on uh, 815, hence the island. Anyhow, my uh, bit of over enthusiasm here aside, um, they're going to see a faith healer near uh, Ayers Rock. And uh, if you'll pardon me, here's a bit about Ayers Rock from Wikipedia, uh, if only to tie into the myth of that place. And uh, I hope this isn't terribly boring. I personally found it kind of interesting to dig a bit about it. I know at the time um, that the episode originally aired, quite a bit was made about it being uh, Ayers Rock, uh, also pronounced Uluru. Um, and, uh, well, here we go. Uh, the local people call the landmark Uluru, as mentioned. This word has no particular meaning in their language beyond it being the definition of, of that place, uh, which I 
think is, I don't know, there's something kind of vaguely ominous about that. Uh, let's see, it was first uh, named Ayers Rock in the 17, in 1870s, and um, uh, since 1993, it's kind of had the dual name as, uh, you know, perhaps times are a bit more uh, a bit more enlightened in Australia, so it's known as both Uluru and Ayers Rock. And uh, let's see, Uluru is one of Australia's most recognizable landmarks, and it has great cultural significance for the Anangu people. The local Anangu do not uh, do not climb Uluru because of its great cultural significance, uh, and they request that visitors also do not climb the rock, partly due to the path crossing a sacred traditional Dreamtime track, uh, and also a sense of responsibility to the safety of visitors. Um, at any rate, it, it, it's this place that certainly has um, oh mysticism to it. Uh, uh, whether to you or to me or to the Anangu people, it certainly is a place that is is viewed with um, you know, as having great power, or great spiritual connection. Uh, I believe too that part of the reason that it uh, it um, has a reddish hue is due to the high iron in the uh, you know higher than normal iron content in the in the soil and in the rock. Uh, obviously, from there we can go iron and magnetism. And uh, to some of the stuff that we're going to hear Isaac of Uluru say in a bit. Um, at any rate, it's it's in the shadow of this place where Rose says that she's made peace with what is happening to her. Bernard answers that he wants to keep fighting the situation. Clearly, this is attached to their island story. It's not heavy-handed. It's, it's not overdone. It's just lost uh, approaching the same um, problem from two different directions or maybe approaching two different problems with the same uh, the same means. Um, at any rate, at that point in the story, uh, we return on island to see that the plan, Bernard's other plan, the plan to fight the situation of being trapped on the island, has indeed fallen apart. Rose and Bernard trade a few barbs, with Rose accusing him of always wanting to do something, not just being able to be. Bernard says that if he didn't always act, Rose wouldn't be here, i.e., wouldn't be alive. At that point, probably on first viewing, we can suspect that something is up with the faith healer. Um, in flashbacks, we haven't seen her actually go to him yet, but for Bernard to assume that it worked means on Lost that it probably didn't. Uh, we then go back into the jungle with Jack and Kate uh, going to the line. Kate thanks him for taking her on this date, uh, I mean trip to see the others. Jack then, ever... Ever the ladies' man, Jack then coolly explains that since the others clearly don't want her, she was an ideal person to join him. Smooth, Jack, so smooth. Speaking of smooth, uh, Kate finds a doll and picks it up, despite Jack saying, No, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't touch that, no, no, no. Ah, Kate. Uh, It then, of course, springs one of Rousseau's traps. After the act break... Jack and Kate are as close as two clothed people can be. Um, She's feeling for the gun in his pants. Not a metaphor. Uh, They're face-to-face the whole time. It's rather textbook sexual tension, but it it certainly is fun. Um, You know, the episode is addressing some of the uh, attraction between the two of them. Um, You know, did Jack invite her because he likes her? Um, 
you know, but the minute she kind of brings that up and says, you know, hey, thanks for having faith in me, he shoots her down. And then, of course, later, you know, she'll say, I'm sorry we kissed. And he'll say, well, I wasn't. And, of course, we have Michael interrupting things to end the episode. But anyhow, uh, speaking of uh, tension, uh, the show then moves to Bernard, upset with how Jin, his lone remaining worker, is putting rocks down. As a side note, I read an article this morning about the the slow decline of uh, Kodak and how in the mid-70s they sold 80% of all the cameras in the United States and 90% of all the film and uh, kind of never fully acknowledged that their business model was disappearing as digital cameras were a theory in the 80s and clunky impractical things in the early 90s and then more practical in the late 90s and and here they reach a point where they're probably going to run out of money uh in the next uh, 12 months so let's say you know by the end of 2012 probably kodak will be no more will have been sold or something they don't see that things are slowly falling apart that's kind of bernard he started out with 15 workers and now he's down to gin so what does bernard do he carries on with the same business model of yelling at yelling at his workers or or worker uh that you know things aren't being done right and things need to be done better um and in that scene kudos big time big time to daniel day kim who of course is speaking korean in the scene but his body acting is so good that we know what he's saying he's saying your plan isn't working you don't like how i'm not doing this job then i'm out of here goodbye it's just, it's wonderful. Literally, there's no confusion as to what he's saying in Korean. The story then moves to sad, wounded Locke, sitting on the beach, talking to, of course, a wise and no longer wounded, or, or sick, Rose. Their conversation seems rambling at first, but it quickly reveals that it has a point. And yet Jack said it'd be at least four weeks but, honey, you and I both know it's not going to take that long. It's an ominous uh, moment, if only because we're not sure what she's referring to. Is she referring to uh, that he might feel himself healing faster right now? And she, of course, is uh, referring rather rather uh, plainly to uh, having been healed from the cancer by the island. I mean, that's a fair assumption at this point on first viewing. Um or is she suggesting that she actually knows something more, which uh, which is answered later in the episode? Um, and uh, with that, just in time, with Rose talking about being healed, we return to uh, the flashback and Rose talking to Isaac the Healer. There are certain places with great energy, spots on the earth, like the one we're above now. Perhaps this energy is geological, magnetic. Or perhaps it's something else. And when possible, I harness this energy and give it to others. May I? Particularly in retrospect, it's meant to be a bit of a calling card to the island. It's been, it's meant to be a bit of a a bit of a chip towards uh, answering this question of of. Uh, you know, of us not quite knowing what the powers of the island are, but they're giving us a little something. Is it geological? Is it magnetic? We're supposed to sit up at that moment and say, wait, there's strange magnetism on the island. Um, 
So there's a, you know, certainly meant to be a bit of a connection there. Um, and as the next clip certainly shows, there's, uh, <laughs> there's no question that, uh, Rose's healing is meant to be from our island and not from, uh, the big, big island of Australia. It's different energies. This is not the right place for you. Where is the right place? I wish I knew. I'll return your husband's donation. Don't. I'm going to tell him you fixed me. I'm going to tell him you fixed me. It's such a tender notion of Rose not telling Bernard. It's so in line with her character, kind of as uh, someone who's in charge. Certainly we can perhaps glean from her flashback that um, she certainly has very few people in her life at, at that point. Um you know, there's no, there's no, uh, clearly no previous husband on the scene, or you know, no one that she's actively married to, at least that we that we know of. Uh, we can assume that's not the case. We can assume that there's no children, with her having uh, kind of no particular rush to to be saying goodbye. Certainly, no concerns when she's on the island of having you know a family beyond uh, beyond Bernard. So you know, it, it, we kind of have by implication. This picture of someone who's fiercely independent and somebody who is, uh, even in marriage and, and in a happy marriage, is uh, independent about the fact that she is dying and will die soon. Uh, at least, you know, that's her perspective in uh, September 2004. So it's it's kind of a, you know, it's a beautiful notion that she doesn't want to share something with her her, her spouse and her husband and her love and, and all that. Um and, you know, and, the, and that she's uh, looking out for his concerns. I know in in previous episodes, I've I've criticized the usage of Rose as kind of you know the uh, the, the magic minority, which which oftentimes will uh, unfortunately appear in uh, TV and movies. The you know kind of the the, the folksy black wisdom that uh, other other characters can't possibly uh, attain. Uh, you know, kind of by by kind of cultural implication, not show implication or writer implication, kind of show implication because of their, you know, their uh, uh, advanced Caucasian ways. You know, this is all, you know, this is not a theory of my own. This is a theory that uh, particularly Spike Lee has has uh, put forward um, and just something that I'm, uh, you know, that I've noticed in, in previous episodes. Here, I don't feel that there's any of that. She's not giving wisdom to other people. She's kind of, giving wisdom to herself. Yes, she's kind of also giving wisdom to Bernard and, you know, she's black and he's white. So, you know, there could be some of that. You could make the argument. But to me, it's just, she's somebody who is so um, firmly set in her convictions of sometimes you just need to let things be. And Bernard is somebody who's so set in his convictions that, you know, you need to shape the world around you. And uh, it's it's those two forces which are, combining uh in the uh in the desire for both of them to be happy and healthy and and live a long and fruitful life so wonderful uh wonderful wonderful storyline indeed anyhow after the uh after the flashback 
we are back on island with Kate and Jack's excellent adventure. Kate tells the tale of maternity leave, finding the staff hatch, where she also found the fake beard, uh, and kind of <laughs> draws a rather direct line to make sure everyone, everyone in the audience uh, understands that the, the bearded people uh, in ratty clothes, that that's an act. Uh, Jack complains that he should have known about that, and Kate complains that she's been locked out of the cool kids club and not known about Henry Gale and the Hatch. Um, at that point, they then reach the the line that they're not supposed to cross, and uh, there's a rather obvious giant black rock. I wondered, are we supposed to have a reaction to it in any sort of connection to the ship, the black rock? Was that rock just naturally there? Uh, I don't know, but uh, certainly there's a great shot uh of the camera spinning around and around and around jack as jack kind of monologues about you know he's kind of yelling to the others to come out and uh certainly conveys the chaos and things spinning out of control it seems um you know it's a unique and wonderful shot um at that point we go back to the beach and rose is kind enough to continue her uh her rose and bernard story she didn't heal me you didn't do anything. Of course he did. You're, you're... Bernard, he didn't heal me. But that doesn't mean I'm not healed. When you're sick and you have got something inside you that doesn't belong there, you can feel it. And after the crash... I couldn't feel it anymore. At first, I thought it was just shock. But it wasn't. It's this place. Wait, but you said Isaac fixed you. I told you that so that you wouldn't spend what time we had left trying to do something. Rose, you could just be in remission. How do you know it wasn't Isaac who healed you? How do you know that he didn't heal you? I know. And of course, Rose's words are intercut with uh, the airport before 815 took off. Uh, She drops her pills. I think we just kind of instinctively assume that they are chemo pills or pain management pills. Um, And then wheelchair-bound lock picks them up. Great performance out of him. It's the beat down, sad lock, the one that didn't go on the walkabout, uh, and it's it's a tremendous crisscross moment. These two, uh, you know, kind of critically hurting people, uh, inside and out, um, meeting for the first time uh, in the airport in Sydney, and then uh, you know t- to then spend many future adventures together. Um, at any rate, with all that explanation and flashback and explanation again, Bernard now understands. And if you can't leave, neither can I. We won't ever leave, Rose. Just tremendously touching. And how great is uh, the Giacchino music there as well? It's just, 
you know, it's playing the scene, as has been noted uh, before, the, those would be script instructions because they just had the knowledge that Giacchino would would get to the heart of the matter musically and uh, and at any rate, it's just it's such a such a beautiful and tender scene, um, worth mentioning as as I've mentioned in previous episodes. Of course, they never will leave. They're going to spend that lovely retirement on a mostly peaceful island. Uh, yes, with some bumps in the road, particularly, uh, I believe the, the man in black does cause a bit of trouble towards the end there, but you know, a small price paid, I suppose, for what's otherwise a healthy and happy, uh, twilight, uh, to one's, uh, to one's years. Uh, they embrace of course. And then we return to lock in the hatch having ended his angry pants session too. sit at the computer and labor just as he was at the start of the episode. Mind the button, try and remember the, the hatch, uh, the, the hatch uh, map. The show then montages, and it does montages in pairs. Echo and Charlie doggedly making the church at night. Jin playing with the pregnant belly of a decidedly underwhelmed-looking son. Claire shushing Aaron to sleep. Hurley and Libby making shadow puppets. These are all pairs of people again. We even have Sawyer eating Kate's clam, literally, because Kate was digging clams out of the sea earlier. But he's doing it with Vincent the dog. Clearly Sawyer wanted to be eating Kate's clam with her there, and he looks disappointed, but a pair nonetheless as he kind of pets Vincent on the head. Uh, and then Rose and Bernard, nuzzling by the fire, feeling each other's hands uh, with the rest of their lives ahead of them. Masterfully, we see one more pair as the music ends, Jack and Kate waiting at the line. A quick time check tells us that there is indeed one scene left, this being it. Uh, Just as Kate and Jack start to discuss kissing, Kate regrets it and Jack says, I didn't regret it. Uh, That's when the others appear. Timing, Jackie boy, timing. At least, of course, we think that it's the others. I would argue that it's at that moment, it's with the return of Michael, that the um, the pull towards the finale begins. We have all these pieces kind of set up. The hatch, Ben in the hatch, what's up with that? Walt, still missing. Michael, missing. Uh, the tail section, having you know joined the group and, and those kind of initial issues, well behind us. We have all these pieces in place, and this is where kind of the, the pre-finale uh, is starting with the return of Michael and all that that's going to then, uh, you know, zip into oh so quickly. Um, just a great episode. Great kind of, I mean, action's the wrong word, but 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 great, um, um, you know, action of a sort. Uh, you know, kind of trumping through the jungle and pounding on the, the gun locker door and dialogue with Ben and, you know, kind of, people doing things on that end and then great characterization with rose and bernard just just wonderful uh stuff between them both in flashback and on on island this is 
you know, maybe it's not a top 10 episode, but it is a, it is a, a really solid episode, really beautiful episode. And, uh, and, you know, and quite a, quite a pleasure indeed. Um, you know, it's just, it's always great to see Rose and Bernard. And, uh, with that, let's take a look at Lostpedia to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, first Lostpedia says this, Rose accidentally dropped her pills at the airport and Locke, still in the wheelchair, picked them up for her. She is only one of three crash survivors to know about Locke's paralysis. The other crash survivors who found out about it are Sawyer, as of the brig, and Boone in Deus Ex Machina. It is also probable uh, that this secret uh, of Locke's was told to Walt. Uh, I would disagree there with Lostpedia. I don't. I would not call it probable. I would call it possible, but, you know, whatever. Um, here's the really interesting thing. Of the of these episodes, SOS, The Brig, and Deus Ex Machina, Lostpedia says all of these episodes were 19th of their respective seasons. Don't know what to make of that, but just a cute, interesting uh, uh, thing that uh, I doubt was planned, that people find out about Locke in a wheelchair in the 19th episode of three seasons. Uh, this is also, says Lostpedia, the first official mention of Neil Frogert on the show. The great kind of behind-the-scenes minor, 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 minor mystery of Frogert. Another bit from Lostpedia. Several members of the Tales section survivor background cast, the extras, can be seen at Sydney Airport. Their only other episode appearance being the other 48 days. That's cute. That's neat that they called back those extras in particular just to have it all match up. I could not tell you what a tail section survivor person looks like uh that wasn't um that wasn't uh uh someone with dialogue in the other 48 days um i don't remember offhand what donald looks like uh the guy whose name escapes me uh who uh analysia threw in the pit certainly had a very distinctive looking face um but to to have all to have the extras back is great now if you had Anna Lucia or Echo or someone like that, that might have added to the cuteness of the moment. And it did also occur to me as well when they're at the airport, uh, at one point, uh, when Bernard gets up so that Rose can drop her pills and have Locke pick them up without Bernard being there, uh, Bernard heads toward the phones. Since Michael's coming back in this episode anyway, you might recall that Michael was on the phone with his mother at Sydney Airport and um, there was a scene where... Uh, Locke gets wheeled by him and Michael doesn't see him. Therefore, it would have been really neat if you had Michael on the phone or Michael just walking up to the phone. So you have some sort of vague chronology of Michael heading to the phone and he's on the phone and Locke walks by having just met Rose and all that. But, oh well, you know, call me Lindelof. We'll, we'll do, a shoot, do a show together sometime. Anyhow, um, two more bits here from Lostpedia. The phrase caught in a net was used several times throughout the rest of the season by Sawyer, who continually misinterprets its meaning as a metaphor for intercourse. In Two for the Road, Sawyer tells Jack that he and Anna Lucia got caught in a net after they slept together. Later in Live Together, Die Alone, Kate saves Sawyer from one of Rousseau's traps, and he realizes that she and Jack were literally caught in a net. Last but not least, this is... Of course, the first episode to have flashbacks centering around guest stars. So there you go. With that, let's look ahead to next week 
Next week will be episode 220, entitled Two for the Road. The... Is this the most shocking episode of Lost? There's an argument to be made. There really is. Um, Really, there really, really is. Uh, All that we expect out of Libby and her potential future on the show. The degree to which Anna Lucia has become, you know, kind of integrated into the cast. It's it's a shocking episode. I'll quickly mention as well, you can check out uh, a couple of my other podcast projects. The, uh, by searching online or iTunes, uh, the PH Geek Podcast, where we talk about a variety of geeky things. We also are working on the Alcatraz Podcast, ahead of uh, the premiere of that show. That'll become a weekly podcast once the show starts to air. Until then, we're kind of doing uh, oh, every three weeks or so. Um, at any rate, back to this podcast. New episodes of Looking Back at Lost launch the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcast Network on Mondays. You can share your feedback by calling 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. Be the next person to share a nice, lovely review, won't you? At any rate, happy holidays once again. Enjoy your uh, family and friends and good cheer this time of year. I'll speak to you all again next week for episode 220 two for the road. Take care, everyone. Enjoy yourselves, and bye-bye.